right, brothers and sisters, turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 1. We're going to be focusing our attention here this morning. We are looking at God's story of the world. God's story of the world from beginning. We, we saw just after the fall of mankind last week. Now we pick up to the rise of the kings in Israel. And there is this increasing expectation in the people of God for that serpent crusher to come. Just as we heard last week, that there's a serpent crusher who's going to come and do away with evil. There's this longing. There's this anticipation. So now, let us read Psalm 2. It's not on the screen. Let me encourage you to look at it in your Bibles this morning. Follow along with me in Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath. He will terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling, kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Let us pray this morning. Father, we praise you for these words of truth, but Lord, we need your spirit. Father, I would ask that you would purify me, your servant, that you would enable me to proclaim your truth. Father, I pray that you would purify your people, that they might hear and understand what you would say to the church this morning. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but these last few years have been quite depressing watching the news, seeing country after country go through turmoil, not only with a virus, but of corruption of misuse of power, it has been incredibly painful. Yet this morning, we have, we have a great hope. We have a great stability that even with rotten governments, even with struggling societies, there is hope, there is peace, there is life. Uh, one story that I've been following uh, somewhat regularly is the story in Afghanistan. Uh, quite a challenging story. Uh, you can go to the, the next slide. Um, perhaps some of you heard that recently the Hazara people faced a great amount of persecution as nine of them were killed and they would ransack their village and the people would flee and they would come back to homes very bare, very empty, no food in the cabinet, totally stolen from, taken advantage of. 
I had the privilege of getting to know some of these Hazara people in 2010. I taught at a school of Hazara Afghan refugee children, and it was, it was so sad to read the stories. I remember reading at that time online that the Taliban said that, that these people, Hazaras, are not Muslim. Therefore, they should be killed. They can be freely killed. The Hazara make up around 9% of the country. Yet we see this is just one example of many of the chaos that's erupting in the country. We know that there's great persecution among Christians. So we find disorder, we find destruction, we find injustice, and then we increasingly hear about poverty. Perhaps you've heard also in the news of late, September 9th, the United Nations reported that 97% of Afghan civilians could plunge into poverty by mid-2022. The state is quite sad. Many years of conflict, exit of many foreign, much foreign aid. Seems like the Taliban has taken over, and rather than helping and supporting their civilians, their their people seems as though they are only taking advantage of them and bringing more and more oppression. Now, how do we as Christians, how do we account for such oppression, such instability in the nations of our world? You know, we really depend on government. It is to be a gift to us. We, we, we actually need government. We need them for a sense of stability, a sense of security. But what do we do when they fail at their role, their God-given role? It's hard for us. Even less extreme examples, right? It's hard for us. When you hear of corruption, even these last few years, I've spoken to many Malaysians, and I, and I hear the, the disappointment, the frustration, the annoyance, the, the anger that's been experienced, and this is what is experienced through by many around the world, of leaders who take advantage of those who are underneath them. How does God's word help us? How does it, how does it shape our thinking? I believe this morning we are gonna learn, even as we've heard last week from Genesis 3.15, that the battle was sure to happen. God was not gonna let evil take over this world. But what we're going to see is that evil is still going to hit individuals. And not only is it going to hit individuals, it's going to hit entire societies. Even the systems that are going to be built are going to be built for selfish ends. But this morning, we are a people of hope. We know that the serpent crusher is coming, that he is coming to do away with evil, that he will destroy the works of the devil. Today, we pick up the story of development, which began with one small family, and now we have a big nation, a big nation. We pick up in Psalms 2, and this is where we see many examples of royal and kingship psalms, where God is going to establish his kingdom on earth. He's going to give a visible picture of his kingdom that's in heaven. He's going to give a visible picture of it on earth in the nation of Israel at this time. But rebellion against God is still present. The battle is still going on. So what will God do? Well, we know the story. We know the Christmas story that God is going to send a ruler, a ruler who will come from 
Bethlehem, a ruler who will have a relationship with God like a son to a father, a ruler who will not just possess a small plot of land in the world, but will possess the whole earth, a ruler that's worthy of our respect, a a worthy ruler of honor. And in him, and in him alone, we will find stability and security, what we've always longed for. What we've longed for of earthly governments is only found in Christ. Children, brothers and sisters, what we've longed for of earthly governments, of earthly parents, is actually only going to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Let us seek to gain God's view of government this morning. We learn first that earthly governments rebel. Societies are built, and and some of them built to oppose the living God, built to oppose their creator, earthly governments. We know this. They rebel. That's what Scripture is teaching us this morning. But also, we see that in Christ's government, In the Messiah, in his government, justice will rule the whole earth. This is what we look forward to in the future, and even now we will get early deposits of it. Thirdly, we'll see that Christ's government means mercy for all who will come under his refuge. Mercy for all. We have good news this morning, brothers and sisters, that though the world is a mess, our God and King reigns. Now, a little bit of background from this passage of Psalm 2. As I've mentioned, this is during the, the line of the kings. David and his kingship, David was promised that many kings would come from him and that there would be one king that would set up an everlasting kingdom that wouldn't have any end. Well, that's the backdrop of this passage. Now, we need to understand something about the kingship in Israel. It was extremely unique. It was extremely unique. It wasn't like any other government on this earth. It was to reflect the heavenly reign of God. The peace and prosperity of God's eternal rule was to come down to earth. Do you remember that the church, that, excuse me, that Israel was promised that God would dwell with them in the temple? that God himself would dwell with them in the temple. Now, when God comes to earth, what is going to happen if you have an evil, corrupt earth? What is going to happen? I, I think of these like old Western movies. Maybe some of you have seen them where, where you have this chaos of outlaws running the show in the city, and then all of a sudden the sheriff comes into town And justice begins to take root in the city. There's this cleanup that happens. Well, that's exactly what happens when God comes to the nation of Israel. There's a cleanup. He's bringing his justice, and it's coming on earth. It's coming immediately oftentimes. That's where we see the laws. That's when we see that death often happened immediately as a response to sin in God's presence. We know that this is the picture of final judgment when God will come again. But we should understand that this was a unique time in history. 
So what do we see when we look at verse 1 to 3? We see human governments that are up to no good. And we're called to feel the text. Okay, listen to what the psalmist is saying. He's, he's asking a question, why do the nations rage? Why do the nations rage? It's okay. It's okay. We, we love to hear kids cry. It's really all right. <laughs> um, CDPC Puchong is known for our background noise. So, um, yeah, we love children. Uh, so let us, let us press on. Um, brothers and sisters, what we see in this passage is the psalmist is, is feeling the pain of what is happening around him. The nations are not just angry, right? Sometimes we see people on the road who are angry. They're honking their horn, right? They're angry at somebody, somebody cut them off. But this is rage. This is like those scary situations that hopefully you've just only seen on the news of someone getting out of their car and they're just like out of control. They want to hurt somebody that cut them off. This is kind of, this, this is kind of scary anger that's taking place in this passage. And this rage, this anger that's coming from the nations, guess where it's directed? It's directed to their creator. It's directed to God himself. And notice this, and his anointed. But what I find fascinating in this cry is this deep faith that he knows this plot is in vain. Think of David. Think of David and his kingship. God anointed him as king, and yet all he saw was chaos. All he saw was people trying to take his kingship from him and kill him. Yet he endured. This is the highest authorities of the world gathering together. There's not just one authority. It's, it's multiple authorities gathering up against God and his kingship and his rule Central to this passage we need to see is that it is God who is rebelled against. Whenever, brothers and sisters, you see injustice in this society, this is first a crime against Almighty God. Do you see injustice as primarily against God? Oftentimes when we see the news, we're reading and we see a violation. We see violation of the rock yacht. We see a violation of my family. We see a violation against my political party, perhaps. Maybe a violation against my particular views of things. But brothers and sisters, as we read the news, we need to have a God-shaped perspective of this world. That when we see sin against humanity, it is ultimately, primarily, it is an offense against Almighty God. And against His anointed. Isn't that interesting? And against his anointed. The, the word anointed simply means is, is Messiah in Hebrew. You read anoint, the, this word, it's Messiah. That's translated in Greek as Christ. Now, we're going to see that word throughout the Old Testament, mostly to speak of kings, but also to speak of prophets, and also to speak of, of priests. These were those who were appointed by God. God ordained leadership who were to reflect God's own good character. But ultimately, in the development of Scripture, right, we know that this Messiah, this, word, this term is used for one, a future one, 
who is going to come and establish God's kingdom, who's going to rescue God's people. That is what the people of old have been looking forward to since Genesis 3.15, right? They're looking forward to God coming and intervening as the nations rage against God himself. Now, it's very important for us that we recognize that this is just going to happen. This kind of rebellion is going to happen in, even in governments, not just individually, not just in our family, but in our society. And I find that most Christians, including myself, we just want to be happy. We just want to think of the good things. Christmas is coming. We just kind of want to sing the happy songs. But as we look at the backdrop of Scripture, as we took a, a real look at this world, we see that there is a mess. And a lot of the problem is actually due to our lack of expectation. Do you expect rebellion in this world against Christ? Do you expect it? You know, it's interesting when you become a first, become a parent, you have your first child. Most of you already have multiple children, so, so you, you, you know this already. But when you, you have a little, two, all of a sudden that beautiful child comes a two-year-old. And all of a sudden that two-year-old, you know, just kind of surprises you <laughs> with, with their desire to assert their own will, their own desire. And many of us parents are shocked. I tell you, I was very shocked. And I'm still shocked each time I, I have children and I say, wow, okay, this is, this is, this is a challenge. This takes some work. But why are we surprised, right? We're taught sin, the sinful nature of our hearts. Why are we surprised when governments in selfishness, in pride, in greed begin to ruin societies? If we knew the scriptures, if we were holding firm to the scriptures, this would greatly help us. We would not be so surprised, so caught off guard so often. We would actually be more prepared to engage when our children are, are falling apart and having trouble. Rather than being shocked, we're ready to actually help them and guide them. Rather than bursting out in anger. When our societies as a whole, when our governments fail us, we'll be more ready to say, yes, I know sin. I know the evil in my heart. I can enter into this society and still seek its good. CDPC has long emphasized social engagement that Christians are called to serve God in the marketplace and maybe even in politics to seek to do good to society, to this world, to seek to bring justice. Yes, and we do that in the context of rebellion in the context of a messy, messy, messy world. And it will help us if our hope is actually not in this government. I remember Pastor Wong in 2016 preaching a sermon, just really stuck with me. Our hope is not in government. It's very easy for us to, to want it, to be the rescuer, to be the savior. And yet what we see in scripture is that it will always struggle. And we need to have a clear perspective when that rebellion happens. We need to not give way to despair, but rather we need to enter into the struggle. We need to enter into the pain and show the love and light of Christ. We need to do something. We need to engage. 
When we see problems in our society, I love that, that that's what so many of you have done. It's shaped the course of your careers. You've said, I see these challenges. I'm going to enter in to those challenges. We as a church have been very encouraged starting the library. We saw a need in the community. So we started the library. We started a counseling center recently. We heard of the many uh, mental health needs in our community. So we started Kase Care at Subong. This is what the church is to be, not to be paralyzed. No, because we know, we know that this is what sinful hearts do. But also, good news, brothers and sisters, as we look beyond verse 1 and 3, we see the rise of a messianic government, a royal son, Christ's government, verse 4 to 9, justice will extend to the whole earth. Now, verse 4 to 9, we see that God is not silent forever. While the nations rage, while they team up to seek to oppose God and seek to do injustice, we see that God intervenes. Just as we saw in Genesis 3.15, he has a plan. He's active on the scene. He initiates. And even though they seek to rise above God and seek to mock him, God will not be mocked. Verse 4, God laughs at the rebellion. It's funny, actually. It's funny when creatures seek to rebel against Almighty God. It's laughable. It's silly. Because even as the text says, He sits enthroned above. He's actually unreachable. I love Isaiah 40, verse 22. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. They're like grasshoppers. Children, are you afraid when you see a grasshopper? Do you think it's going to harm you? No, no. I remember going on a covenant group retreat with uh, Isaac and Asher uh, and they caught a little grasshopper. It was the biggest grasshopper I've ever seen, actually. It was massive. Um, and yet, these boys, it was like their little toy, you know? It was kind of, it was, it was just this little thing, you know? Um, jumps around. Friends, no matter which government, powerful government that you see in the nations of this world, they're like little grasshoppers. They're so small. They're so weak. And in the big picture of God's story of the world, they're little. They will come to an end. As we've seen, nation after nation that rises up and seeks to take over the world, what happens? Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. Now, we see in this passage that sin will not be dealt with lightly. God's righteous anger will come. Justice will come. Look at Psalm uh, 2, verse 5 and 9. says this, He will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. And the royal son of God says, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now this is justice spoken of in the strongest of terms. When people look through the Old Testament, they, 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 they often don't like what they see, but what they fail to understand is how wicked these surrounding nations were. Even in my Bible reading this week in Chronicles, 
kings were teaching whole societies to kill their children, to sacrifice them to the gods. And Israel's kings were beginning to do the same and teach their people to do the same. It was horrific. It was barbaric, some of the things that happened in these societies. I want you to know how serious their evil actions were. Notice verse three, moving backwards. Let us burst their bonds apart. They, the nations, are seeking to break God's people to pieces. They are being shattered, being destroyed. So what is God gonna do about it? Well, he's gonna fit a punishment that fits the crime. Now, why is this so hard for us? Why are these passages so hard for us? I think it's because we're, we grew up in the soft generation, right? You talk to our grandparents, they're tough. <laughs> My grandmother, wow, she was tough. She lived through the Great Depression. She lived through wars. We often don't know how painful and how terrible, especially someone like me coming from the West, how oppressive tyranny is, how horrible it is to live under a wicked regime. When you're living in that kind of wickedness, you're crying out, God, rescue us, bring justice. You need something. You want someone strong to come in, <laughs> not someone just to come and talk, you know, just this is what we're like the talk generation. We think we can solve all our problems by talking. And the sad thing is, that often what is needed is a consequence, discipline, correction, punishment. Sometimes this will only do, and that is what we see God doing here. He will take evil seriously. God will bring justice. This is to be our hope. This is where we're supposed to be fixated in our minds as we think about issues that are happening around us. I believe this idea, this image of break, broken pottery also comes back to the idea that pottery is easily broken. It's very fragile. Nations of the world cannot stand up against our great God. And this is to produce a kind of hope in us, a kind of stability, a kind of security, even as there's madness going on around us. This morning, Christian, do you expect final justice in the midst of oppression? Christian online, do you expect final justice? In the history of the church, we've seen countless martyrs, but particularly the first few centuries, we have a number of sad examples of oppressive governments who would seek to kill Christians. And you can read many of these in Fox's Book of the Martyrs, a very interesting book, a classic book on on martyrdom, and he recounts 10 waves of persecution that would come through beginning in Nero in 670, uh, 67 AD. And what we can see about these, these Christians, these early Christians, they didn't have a fiery spirit. They weren't seeking to take justice in their own hands. They weren't raising their fist at the government, seeking to, to fight back. What's amazing as we look at the tombs in Rome, in the catacombs, which is underneath Rome. You can actually tour it today. You can go see these, these graves. These areas of burial where Christians actually would have hid from persecution. 
But there, as they buried their dead here, this is what Fox's Book of the Martyrs says. Very graphic account. Heads are found severed from bodies. Ribs and shoulders, blades are broken. Bones are often callousened from fire. Despite these awful stories of persecution, what do we read on, on their tombstones? We read inscriptions like this, victorious in peace and in Christ. How do you have this kind of attitude in the midst of oppression? When you yourself have lived your whole life under tyranny, how is it that you can have this kind of mind? It is because they knew the justice of God. They knew the justice of God, that it, was, that it was coming, that he would deal with their oppressors. They knew that they were victorious in him. But continuing on, more hope, more hope for sinners like you and I, because not only will justice fall, but mercy will come. You can click one more time. Mercy to all who take refuge. Next slide, please. Isn't it interesting that these last few verses, verse 10 to 12, he begins to offer these warnings to the kings of the nations that judgment is coming. But notice that this is a call for these rebellious nations, these rebellious people to repent. It's actually an offer of forgiveness and grace and hope. They're called to come and respect the one true king who rules over the earth in its entirety. So verse 11 and 12, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son. Rejoicing and trembling. That is because we tremble because we know that God is just, more just than us. And if we were to stand in his presence, we too would be condemned. We tremble in his presence. But at the same time, we know that he's not only a God of justice, he's a God of mercy. So we rejoice. That's what we're doing this Christmas. We're rejoicing, yet we're doing it with trembling because he is the almighty king who rules the world in its entirety. So Christian, this Christmas, let us rejoice. Let us rejoice that this season, this age between Christ's first coming and his second coming is the age of refuge, the age of mercy and grace. Why is God allowing this, this crazy world to continue? That more and more and more might be brought in to know him and to live under his rule. I love this last verse. Blessed, blessed are all who take refuge in him. Though the nations are raging around you, though life is chaotic in this world, God is going to respond to this injustice and bring justice. But not only that, he is going to provide safety, security, refuge in the Lord Jesus Christ. Doesn't this passage just so clearly lay out before us the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? 
that Psalm 2 is this ongoing promise of David and this, this ongoing rule. Yes, it's about David, but even more, it's about the eternal Son of God who came to this earth to rescue sinners like you and I. Jesus would know what it was like to commune with the Father, perfect intimacy and delight in his relationship with the Father. And our King Jesus would lead out of that delight, out of that communion. And what does he extend to his people? Blessed communion and fellowship and life together with God and with one another. Mercy is the signal of this age. Jesus Christ said, come and make disciples of all nations. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So what is King Jesus doing? He's spreading his love and his mercy through the whole earth. And he's saying, come and take refuge. And he wants to use people like you and I to call the most wicked of sinners to safety and refuge in him. Jesus Christ, our King, who will deal with our enemies and bring justice. Jesus Christ, who is protecting us from judgment, protecting all who will come to him. This is the good news of the gospel, friends. Okay, let us review. The kingdom has not yet come. Jesus brought the kingdom, but that full manifestation of that kingdom visibly to our own eye is not yet. So therefore, when we look at verse one to four, yeah, we understand rebellion is gonna continue even in our age because when Jesus came, rather than immediate, bringing immediate judgment, he brought mercy. So yes, we continue to respect, expect rebellion, but we know that that is because Jesus' kingdom has not been fully manifested yet. Secondly, his kingdom is coming. That kingdom will be manifested soon, and there there will be justice. Make no mistake about it. Do not be fooled. Justice will come. God is going to do away with all of it, just as he promised in Genesis 3.15, and as we see throughout the scriptures. But this current phase we must not miss. His kingdom is now but it's the kingdom of mercy that under the government of his son, sinners might come and find safety, that Jesus on the cross would bear the punishment for our sin. Do you believe that? The son of God, the eternal son of God would come and bear the punishment for our sin. This is the greatest display of mercy that the world has seen, and yet it was an act of justice. We're now... We are reckoned, we are counted as righteous in his sight. God has dealt with the consequence of our sin graciously in his son. So let us put ourselves under this anointed one. Let this gospel impact the way that we view our society and our world and governments of this world. The government is truly on his shoulders, as the famous Christmas verse says. Yes, he is prolonged doing away with evil, but it's that mercy might continue to extend to all nations, even through us, 
brothers and sisters. So let us endure. Let us not grow weary. I know many of us are tired. Many of us are struggling. Let us not grow weary. Let us press on, continuing to do the job that God has called us to, that we might see many more come to Christ. Even we as a church, we're in a little bit of a tumultuous time as we make adjustments. Brothers and sisters, let this be your stability. Let these truths be your security and your encouragement that Christ reigns and that he is leading his church to victory. As I think about those Christians who lived underground, it's interesting to uh, read Fox's Voice of the Martyrs where he says this. He says this, It has been said that the lives of those early Christians consisted of persecution above ground and prayer below ground. Their lives are expressed by the Colosseum and the catacombs. You get that? That was their shelter of worship. We're going to say goodbye to this place. It may feel homeless at times there as we go to Subang next week at four. But we can worship anywhere. Christians have worshiped throughout the ages. They've worshiped in the Colosseum under oppressive governments. They've worshiped hidden underground, as many do even to this day. And they've done it with joy. They've done it with joy because they know that Christ is king. Here's a picture of the catacombs. Uh, next slide, please. I love this particular drawing. The, the, the early Christians, they would do these drawings, and this one particular one on your right is, is of an anchor. Can you see that? It has a picture of a cross. These Christians, they knew Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, that says this, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure firm and secure. So they drew these pictures that would remind them that Jesus is king, that they are eternally secure with him. Let's give thanks to God this morning for the stability and security that we have in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in him alone do we have what we long for. We praise you for the government of the Lord Jesus Christ, not manifested physically now, but one day will be manifested physically and that justice will be clearly seen by every eye. Lord, would we be prepared for this day? Would we see the world knowing that you will bring faithful justice? Would it give us strength to endure when persecution comes or even when just we face hardships in this life? Lord, would it move us to carry on, to press on, to continue to serve and do good, to seek to bring justice Father, we thank you so much for your mercy as well. Father, we thank you for the great refuge that we have in the Lord Jesus, that we're forgiven of our sin, that we can have new life with you. Fellowship as a son relates with a father. We thank you for this deep eternal love. Lord, would it be our confidence? Would it be our strength in these days? We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. 